they keep going and learn about the universe. Um, I let you know that next week's speaker will be held. Jansen, and he will speak about the methods we use to elect our members of parliament. Now, there's a good one for you to chew on, and you can actually do something about it rather than just sit there and watch a beautiful slideshow. Um, the moderator is Mark Nelson. So if I ask Barry to come up and um, take your questions of inquiry, that would be a... You can ask him about anything, Galileo or the universe or time or anything. He knows everything. <laughs> so Klaus following the rules, that's a that's a that's quite a concept. <laughs> Howard Forsyth. We started asking at our table that humans are so full of purpose. Nearly everything we do, we say, why are you doing that? And so we spend all our time with purpose. But astronomy seems to be purposeless. It's a very expensive thing. What are we learning that's useful out there? Or will we ever learn anything useful? Suppose in another 400 years it gets more and more abstract and more and more distant and more and more inscrutable, which is a pretty good guess, isn't it? So what? Why don't we spend our time with sociology and politics, economics, health? Big topic and big question. <laughs> um, so, so why do we do astronomy, um, and what's the purpose behind it, and why don't we use those efforts for something else? Well, we could we could almost explore any any human activity and, and scrutinize for that. And of course, human society functions on many levels, uh, uh, you know, sociologically, uh, scientifically. Um, politically, and so on. So we have all these, these activities, and is one more important than the other? Uh, of course, that's up to debate, and you can have probably more than one, one, one answer. For an individual, particularly, let's say, and the gentleman indicated that it's very expensive. Yes, it's very expensive, but there's a lot of very expensive things out there. Professional sports is very expensive. Can you imagine the amount of resources that people spend on professional sports? Could not be used for something else? Um, and going to the arts, uh, the art culture, uh, you know, really, what's, what's the purpose of that? Uh, is it, uh, can we go without that? Could it be used for something more useful? So, <clears throat> I mean, that would be an, an endless debate. But for an individual, let's say an individual who is, let's say, um, is, is, is uh, downtrodden or poor, uh, you know, in, in dire straits, there's probably not much that anyone else can do that would be of useful to that person unless it brought some some comfort and wealth to them. Uh, for an individual who is <clears throat> is well off, well, they'll probably say, yeah, there's lots of useful things, uh, uh, science and culture and, and arts and stuff, and, they, and, they, and it's valuable to their, their lives, but they have a different perspective for that. So for, at an individual level, 
it's debatable or you can argue whether it's useful or not. <clears throat> but I think we've got to look at, the, at, at human society in general. And, and I kind of try to allude to that as being, you know, in my opinion, it's one of, one of hum, humanity's great, greatest achievements. And, and, and why not celebrate that and, and considering that, that that is a useful thing to have in society. Now, can we profit from it? Don't know. Do we need to profit from it? Probably not. But, but we can say, yeah, we've accomplished this, and, 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 it's, and it's good. Uh, but astronomy as a science as a, and, and a, as a generator of technology, it's, it's, it's huge um, in terms of spin-offs to other applications to human society, uh, the processing of data, computer advancements, because astronomy requires a huge amount of computer power. Um, and, and a lot of the advancements in computer sciences has been a result of, of astronomy and, and space science. The application of data processing collection has gone to other fields, such as medical research and so on. Uh, so um, it's, it, is an, it is an important aspect of, of gaining new knowledge and, and application. My name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you very much, Gary. Um, um, I think that uh, this debate about uh, the importance of, of different uh, parts of, of the human brain and uh, what we're interested in could go on forever. Uh, one thing that I noticed in your presentation that uh, stood out was just the very title is starting your presentation with Galileo as though he was the first man who ever uh, who, who started this whole thing. And I can't help thinking that uh, we Europeans, or we people who are descendants of European people, have this tremendous uh, attitude that we were the, the beginners of everything. You know, we discovered America, and we discovered the world, and we uh, started astronomy with Aristotle and all of that. A real European bias that has been proven completely to be wrong. The Chinese had built astronomical observatories around the world hundreds of years before Galileo was born. And, uh, and that history now is just being recorded. I wonder if you're aware of it, and you might have to change all your slides and your title. <laughs> oh, and I spent so much time on that. <laughs> no, your, your point is, is, is well taken, and certainly Galileo... I guess we have to put it in perspective, and certainly I'm not a historian, and, and there's many aspects of, of uh, ancient astronomy, uh, if you can call it uh, astronomy back then, but um, that has been going on many hundreds of years, thousands of years before that, and certainly China and, and many other cultures have, have observed the night sky. They have used the night sky as part of their culture, and there's many monuments uh, or, or, or uh, ruins or archaeological sites that, that points towards uh, this close connection to the night sky, in terms of what they were observing, they may not. They, well, they certainly didn't understand it. I mean, certainly ancient cultures saw the stars out there. They, they moved. They didn't know that the Earth was moving, but the stars moved. But they noticed there were there were five stars that were different. Of course, those are the five naked eye planets that you can see without a telescope. And of course, they became important in 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 in, in uh, superstitions and, and and religious activities and other cultural activities. So certainly the the, the connection to the night sky goes uh, far earlier than Galileo, and certainly acknowledge that. And in terms of, well, way back then, astronomy and astrology were very, were almost the same thing. And and there were, you know, the high priests uh, who, who who consulted the uh, astrologers and, and so on. 
so, but what Galileo did uh, as being recognized as, as he started a revolution, and it was, uh, it, and as as indicated in one of my slides, <clears throat> Einstein and and uh, and Stephen Hawking acknowledged him as as maybe the founder of the scientific process that b began. So he he took what you know th some theories that were proposed. He did some observations and 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 some reasoning. He concluded that my observation supports the, Cal the Copernicus model, and that began the scientific process. Uh, that 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 we now rely on, so that's that's what he started. He certainly didn't start observing the nice guy. People have been doing that much longer before he he had been, and they've been trying to understand what they were were, were seeing. And, and and during Aristotle's time, it made sense that the Earth was the center of the universe, and um, but it took several hundred years to to change that that concept around based on observations. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but. I'm Trevor Page, and uh, you were warned, Barry, that it was the uh, the Inquisition after lunch. But a, a, a comment first, and then a question closer to home. In addition to the Chinese, of course, the Arabs, for a thousand years, or the Arabs started the use of astronomy for navigation. And we found our way around the world for a thousand years by looking at the stars and understanding how they worked. But my question is closer to home, and I wonder if you could give us an explanation of what happened when these bright lights were seen last week, and I believe earlier this month, in southern Alberta. And uh, what was that phenomenon? Perhaps you could talk about that a little. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> what what was observed earlier today, and then there was a sighting just, um, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, uh, I think in south of here. These bright lights in the skies was actually, and I made reference to it in one of my slides, of, of debris entering the Earth's atmosphere. And it's rocky, most likely rocky debris, small asteroidal material that is raining down upon the earth all the time. Most of it is very small stuff, little dust particles that burns up in the sky. But I'm sure most of us have seen the falling star, the shooting star in the evening sky. Well, that's what it, that's what it is. It just was a bright version of those. Uh, the larger they are, the brighter the, the, the brighter the flash. But it's just a, a rocky particle, usually the size of a sand grain or a small pebble that enters the atmosphere. But it's traveling several thousand kilometers per, per, per hour, so you have a lot of kinetic energy when it slams into the Earth's atmosphere, so it burns up in a second. But a bigger one, and those are called meteors. That's the proper name. They're not, they're not really falling stars. If it was a falling star, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but uh, they're called meteors, the thing, the thing that you see flashing in the night sky. And if it's large enough and parts of it survives and hits the ground and you can go and find it and pick it up, that's called a meteorite. And they're actually worth, worth some money. And the one that was observed... Uh, east of Edmonton area, that I think it came down just across the border in Saskatchewan. Uh, they've actually found several pieces of, the, of, of that large meteorite that, uh, that came down, or the meteor, yeah, the meteorite that came down at that time. So so there's, uh, there's actually people out there that do this almost for a living, searching for meteorites. Gary, 
Very interesting talk. Very. Thank you, Albert Coy is my name. And uh, I'm glad we can agree on most of uh, what you said. But uh, being a lapidarian, I'm also looking for those things that fall from the sky, and maybe I'll uh, cut them up and see what, what, what's their texture. It's very interesting. Uh, the study of rocks is just as, I think, just as amazing as studying the, st the stars. But anyway, getting back to your comments there, I can agree with most of the stuff. But uh, this Big Bang thing, that sort of uh, perplexes me. It sounds, not that you're childish, but a Big Bang sounds like a kid with a big firecracker. And uh, I don't know, it, it just doesn't sound growing up. When I think they come to a point of not knowing what's beyond that. And I think that's where God comes in, because I can agree with you 100%, because uh, to uh, one day is as a thousand years, so this thing could be a long, big thing. We can't understand it. So I'm just that's one thing. And another thing in regard to uh, uh, being first, I took a great interest in the Aztecs and the Incas. And, you know, those people had tremendous lineup of, of the of the stars and everything. They even had a better uh, calendar and a and a clock than we had. So I was just wondering if you studied that in that direction. So you can talk about the Big Bang, but you don't have to because that's one thing we don't agree with. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go backwards here. Yeah, no, certainly. And we've talked about by the uh, earlier question that certainly. Uh, uh, many many cultures, of course, way back in, we were even referring to it at, at the table that, of course, there was not this globalization and, and and the internet and whatnot. So the information couldn't be shared by by cultures. So, but the cultures that you refer to, yeah, they were quite advanced in their um, observations of the night sky and the construction of some of their temples and observatories reflect that, and 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 also probably reflected in some of their beliefs and, and cultures. So. So in, in very many societies, they all took on some aspect of that because because back then everyone could see the night sky. The thing nowadays, particularly in the so-called developed world, we're all stuck into light polluted cities. We don't see the night sky anymore, and we've lost this disconnect from that part of that part of nature. So, which is a shame, and that's one aspect of your year of interna international year of astronomy is to try and reconnect the the public that has lost that that connection with the, with with the night sky and what's what's out there, and uh, not get so hung up by our busy lives and and all the the uh, aspects that we need to to be doing in terms of growing and all that type of stuff. In terms of the Big Bang, um, yes, and I acknowledge that certainly we they don't know what caused the Big Bang. And, uh, but I would maybe counteract saying that, well, we shouldn't just give up a lot, our, our hands and say, yeah, well, it must be some sort of godlike feature that, <laughs> that created it or caused it. So, because we don't know, we can't even prove that. We can't prove it scientifically what has, has, has occurred at that very moment, what caused that moment. And they've got ideas, but they have no way of proving, proving it. And I would say, just to say that it was, uh, um, it's created by, let's say, by a god. Um, I would say, well, show me the evidence, and and uh, and I think in a public debate, that's that's fair game to to request that. Uh, as individuals, if you want to believe that, fine, no problem. But you know, bring it into the uh, 
public arena and debate it, you better have some proof because scientifically we've got pretty good story to tell. We don't have the whole story, but we got a pretty good story with quite a bit of proof and evidence and observations. So. Hello. Thanks for coming, Barry. That was a very interesting talk. My name is Isaac Mohanan. Now, I'd like to move from the past into the present, perhaps the future. Now, several species have died off. The Cambrian extinction, the dinosaurs. This is most likely due to a meteorite. What does astronomy currently offer us in terms of forewarning? What's the chances we'll actually notice a planet killer like that? Is there anything practical we could actually do in response? Good question. <laughs> uh, buy some hard hats. <laughs> no, no, that's good. No, I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I can, I can try and address that. Um, um, yes, the the Earth has been impacted, and, and there's, I think, there's something like. 200 sites on the Earth that they, geologically they can show that yeah this has been hit by a large object you know, either either an asteroid or or a comet and certainly for the dinosaurs 65 million years ago it seemed like there's pretty good evidence that they were wiped out by this large impact that caused a disruption to the biosphere to the point that they were extinct and there's no reason why that wouldn't happen again um, between the or the, between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter there's a there's a what we call the asteroid belt millions of, 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 of objects called asteroids, a stony material, rocky material, ranging in size from dust grains all the way up to the largest asteroid, which is about a thousand kilometers in diameter. And most of them are they're not they're not a threat to us. But there is a group of asteroids that do come into the inner further into the inner solar system. They cross the orbits of, of Mars and Earth. And these are called near Earth asteroids. And potentially one of them at some point in the future, just by a matter of you know, chance or uh, eventually just uh, one of them will intersect Earth and will impact Earth. And like I say, we're, we're having material rain down on us all the time and we've had some bright, large objects that enter the Earth's atmosphere uh, that we can see. So, but there are programs out there uh, called, I think they're called, there's like two or three programs around the world that are actually trying to map the near-Earth asteroids. And I think the current goal is to map anything larger than one kilometer in diameter. And they probably map several hundreds of these, maybe even a thousand or so. And what they, of course, once you map them, discover them, and determine their orbital, or, orbital properties, you can then predict whether or not if they ever will intersect the Earth at some point in the future. So there are active programs doing that. Um, now, something a, a kilometer across hitting the Earth, I'm not sure what kind of damage that would do, but probably would certainly be city killers. <laughs> uh, maybe county, you know, would destroy that. I mean, something that big hitting the county of Lethbridge would just take us right off the map, I'm sure, if not more. Um, something that's, you know, if, you know, tens or 20 kilometers in diameter would be uh, would be a bad day for Earth. Uh, so what can we do about it if we... If the prime minister got on the phone or on the TV tomorrow and said, yeah, there's something coming our way. It's going to hit us in about three years' time. There's probably nothing we can do about it. Just maybe figure out where, where it's going to hit and head to the other side of the planet. <laughs> uh, so, but, but people are looking into it. They are looking into it. They're trying to develop technologies that could maybe prevent that. And you, what you need to do is somehow, you know, if a five-kilometer asteroid is heading our way, the sooner we know about that, the better. 
because if you can get, let's say, a, a rocket technology up there to, or let's say using solar, sal solar sails uh, that can, can perturb its orbit just enough, because if it's a long ways away and you give it a little nudge, by the time it gets to us, it'll miss us. So um, there, there are people that are looking into to trying to develop that technology, but it's not ready to go. So if we are going to get hit, let's, let's hope it's not going to be for a long time. Graham Greenlee. Hi, Barry. <laughs> Thanks for coming and talking to us about your hobby. Uh, Barry, do you think there's other civilizations out there somewhere? And what would you base your answer on? Where's the scientific proof? Actually, I got a phone call from... No. <laughs> 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 my, my, from my ET friend. And, uh, we have no proof that there's life other than on Earth. Um, but, of course, our sampling of the, uh, of the universe is very, very small. Um, <clears throat> of course, we know um, the conditions that we exist in terms of, of, of the characteristics of the Earth. I mean, you have to have the right size of star or characteristic of us. You, you have to have a stable star you have to have a planet that is conducive to like a, like a terrestrial type planet at the right distance um, in order for, for life to occur. You certainly need lots of water and all that water needs to be, or at least a good part of that water has to be in liquid form. There's lots of bodies in the solar system that, has lots, that have lots of water but it's primarily frozen. For example, Mars and some of the, the, uh, the moons of Jupiter. But some of the the prospects of life elsewhere in our own solar system is probably very remote. There may be evidence, we haven't discovered it, but there could be evidence on Mars that would indicate that maybe life had started on Mars, but because of the characteristics of Mars, it, it, it died out. Um, so they're very, very hopeful that maybe Mars has locked in its, in its geological history some evidence of, let's say, microbial life. Um, but we're, we're not there yet. There are some <coughs> moons around Jupiter. Um, which one is it? Europa is uh, is has an icy surface, but because of its characteristics that they measure, they are very they, they believe that is probably a, a a liquid ocean underneath the ice surface. So as long as you have water, uh, there's a chance maybe life exists there. So there's some possibilities within our solar system, but. I'm, I, if I was a betting man, I'm not sure if I'd bet on that. Now, we've been starting to, last 10, 15 years, we've been starting to observe other stars, and we've been detecting planets around other stars. So we now, you know, up until, let's say, 20 years ago, they say, well, there's no evidence of other planets out there other than our solar system. But we are now getting that evidence, very good evidence, and I think there's about 20 or 200 uh, solar systems they've discovered. Now, the type of planets they're discovering are called Jupiter-sized or super-Jupiter-sized planets, which are gas giants, and those wouldn't be conducive to life. But if there's other planets, there may be the small terrestrial planets. So to answer your question, do I believe there's other... Yes, I do, um, but I do not believe in UFOs. Okay? <laughs> to me, there's a difference. Um, there is no... In terms of... It's kind of maybe a, a negative evidence, if you like, or reverse evidence is there's no reason why, in terms of our understanding of, of, of geological evolution, biological, chemical evolution, what we see on the Earth doesn't seem, I mean, it's, 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 it's very um, uh, 
um, when you look at life and, and what it is, it's, it's, it seems very complicated, but there's no scientific reason why it wouldn't occur someplace else. I mean, there's nothing special about the sun. There's nothing special about the earth, though we haven't observed other earths. But, but, but look at our, our solar system. I mean, the earth is just one planet. There are, eight, there, are eight, there are seven other planets. There's lots of asteroids. There's lots of things orbiting the sun. I mean, that probably is common for all stars. So when you look at our galaxy, you know, 100, 200 billion stars, and there's who knows how many galaxies are out there, and each one of them will have a similar number of stars. I mean, the number of planets out there is just astronomical. Can I say that word? <clears throat> to believe that Earth is the only place in the universe to have life, yeah, which scientifically it doesn't seem to be that terribly special. I mean, there's no reason why it can't occur other places. I find it very hard to believe that we'd be the only place in the universe to harbor this type of type of biochemistry. So I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. I hate to ask the last question. We have two minutes to answer this one, Barry. Uh, tell us something about uh, modern telescopes. Cars? Uh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I'm not sure what Klaus is asking. I'm not going to talk about the moon because he knows all about the moon. No, the, but, the dimension and the size of modern telescopes. Modern. Modern oh, telescope. modern, okay. <laughs> More than about Gal Galileo's telescope? Okay. Okay, if I understand, I think he wants me to talk about telescopes as opposed to something else other than telescopes. 30 meter one. Yeah. Well, in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 or, or 20, 20 years, telescope technology has, has really advanced, and they're getting bigger and bigger. Uh, fewer of them, of course, because they're very expensive to, to build. But the largest telescope in the world right now is 10 meters in diameter. Those, there's two of them parked on top of Mauna Kea in Hawaii. They're called the Keck 1 and Keck 2 telescopes. And they're not solid mirrors. They're actually segmented mirrors. I can't remember what they I think they have 36 smaller mirrors all stuck together. And they're computer-controlled, and, and they can have pretty good resolution. Uh, and compensating for the effects of the Earth's atmosphere. Before this more recent technology, uh, our telescopes were kind of limited to how big they could get because of the, uh, the disruption that the Earth's atmosphere can cause. But now they've got technologies to, to try and compensate for that. So, uh, so there's been a kind of a revolution uh, recently about uh, with respect to building larger and larger telescopes. And there's one currently on the books that they're going to be building. It's a, called the 30-meter telescope. And Canada has a large involvement, actually very significant involvement in this project. And they're going to decide later this year where they're going to build it. It's either going to be Hawaii or Chile. Um, we had a public speaker here uh, a month or so ago about that, and I tried to, who's, who's involved with the project? He's with the Canadian contingent on this project, and I tried to convince him if he would consider Lethbridge, but for some reason he didn't think that would be a good spot. I don't know. Um, because it'd be kind of nice to have a 30-meter telescope parked next door here. So, so and there are other telescopes that are on the books. I think there's a 100-meter telescope that's in, you know, being thought about. But this 30-meter telescope is is certainly on on its way. Um, and of course, there are space-based uh, satellite-type telescopes like the Hubble Space Telescope, which are smaller. But the fact that they are above the Earth's atmosphere uh, makes them very, very effective uh, scientific tools. And there's been uh, several of these uh, 
uh, space observatories that have been launched over the years. And it's not only looking at it in, in, in the visible light. <clears throat> now, that when I say the largest telescope is only 10 meters, that's when I'm referring to visible uh, astronomy as opposed to, let's say, radio astronomy, which looks at a different part of the, magnetic spe uh, the electromagnetic spectrum. These dishes are much, much larger. Uh, there's one down in, uh, where is it? Uh, Costa Rica. The Costa Rica, the big, great big, uh, yeah. It's a huge, huge, and, and they can't move it. That's a, it's a parked in a big valley, and they use the earth to, 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 to steer it, if you like. So, and there's other uh, observatories that look at different parts of the magnetic spectrum, um, uh, infrared and, and ultraviolet and, and so on. So you get this all these pieces of information that they put together. So... Thank you, Barry. Very impressed. Very impressed. I thank you. I thank you for the for the attention and the intelligent questions. As Voltaire said, uh, "Don't judge a man by his answers; judge him by his questions." Um, and Barry, you did an amazing job of showing us the slides and answering the questions. Don't forget that's that's just his hobby. Can you imagine what he's like professionally? <laughs> So with that background, I asked you, I asked the Inquisition, is it going to be uh, imprisonment or is it going to be his life or is it going to be freedom? Tell me, what is it going to be? Oh, lucky you. i got to go back to work now. <laughs> well done, Barry. <laughs> Thanks for lunch.